Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Today we're going to be talking about data, strategy, quant, qual, research, all fun stuff. We have Allegra Bishop on the show today. Hi there. Hello. Welcome back. Allegra, you brought this up. There's a lot of thoughts I have around how this fits into product strategy work as well, but what in particular resonated with you on this topic? Yeah. You know, I've seen data done differently at every company that I've I've worked at and with. And oftentimes people think we have to set up our qualitative data after we figure out all of our quantitative data. So we really need to first build our numbers, understanding what metrics matter, what are we going to be, mm. what hard numbers are we going to be able to focus on? And then afterwards, we'll we'll go and start thinking about, you know, users and, and asking them those more qualitative questions. Mm. But the thing that I think is really fascinating is oftentimes you aren't able to set the right quantitative metrics without having those qualitative conversations with users first. So mm. I love this topic. The last company that I worked with was the first time I ever had a UX researcher, which was amazing. Highly recommend. So it's just been my mind a lot lately. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things to unpack there. As a business, depending on what stage y'all are in, from zero to one to more enterprise, folks struggle with the same thing here. It's very similar challenges at, at each level of company. You could see huge enterprises even struggling with this concept too. Where I like to start... I'm getting better at this. What has really worked well is to start with that understanding of the core business and the growth economics before even diving into talking to customers first. Because if that's not very understood, then it's then we have an issue. But I always find that just going back to the very basics is super informative and can kick up a whole bunch of ideas by just narrowing in on what's the business model. Who's the core customers? How are they either consuming or producing value? What type of business are you? All those kind of underpinnings of the basics of your business and your company is super crucial to nail down first and then say, great, we have this understanding. Here's what we facilitate. Here's that interaction. Here's the product itself or here's the main players. Now here comes the rest, right? Which is more setting up the structural data components, both qual and quant. And then how do you balance the two? I find you're right. Like I see a lot of organizations going just track everything. Just let's track and then we'll figure it out without even having a coherent strategy. And so that's kind of how I feel that it might tie back into how you're thinking about strategy as a product leader as well. Yeah, the the balance question is really interesting because I've definitely been in situations where there's a quandary of like, how much do we measure? Like say you're setting up segment eventing or some sort of like user uh, user behavior tracking. I found that a lot of companies will just want to event absolutely everything. And then what happens really quickly, at least in the quantitative data world, is you're spending so much time just implementing those events in your backend or setting up those systems that you don't have any time to actually analyze the, the output. And so something that I've seen done really well in the past that I love is kind of using that qualitative customer conversations and research to help you prioritize those things rather than saying, oh God, we have to, we have to event absolutely everything in our system. You know, how are we going to find the space in our backlog to do that? I don't know if you've seen that before. There needs to be a coherent strategy and method. And I think what you're saying is that's often derived in these interviews 
that you have qualitatively that guide the data implementation, or at least in theory, that should be the sequence to help the conversation. I think that is true to some sense, but it's also maybe indicative of that strategy piece, potentially not clear or maybe missing in this context of here's our goals, here's our challenges, and here's our actions that we're actually going to go pursue. I do find, depending on the type of organization, if it is more of a platform-oriented business, to focus on those interactions, those digital interaction touch points from your external customers. Any of those external customer interface touch points or anything like that that you can track is, is going to be good. But without that context of why and where that all feeds into or why the, a new metric or interaction touch point would drive value in your platform or product, then it's like, why are we doing that? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. I really like thinking about it from like a risk perspective. So anytime you're thinking about data, it's to help you make decisions. It's to help you better understand whether there are opportunities within your user base. You know, there's obviously lots of ways that you can understand or excuse me, use data. But something that I've seen done really well is like, what do we feel like we not, we don't know? Like what, what questions do we still have to answer? And then kind of catalog all of those and then organize them based on how risky they are. And what I mean by that is if you were to make a decision without knowing that answer fully, being confident in that answer, how risky is that? How risky is that decision? And if you can figure out, okay, here is the question we have, here is why it's risky and use that to then kind of backwards reverse engineer the, the specific data points that you want to, to look after, whether that's quantitative or qualitative. I've seen that work really well too where people, it's not just here are our 30,000 questions that we want to answer. Let's go answer all of them. It's really putting them through that lens of we want to make these important decisions, but here's how, here's how we're thinking about risk in those decisions. And then you can prioritize a few again, rather than, especially for smaller teams, because um, you often don't have the bandwidth to, to again, track everything and analyze everything. Before. Can you describe that last time that you went through this with an organization? What was that like? You know, I've done that a lot in looking at onboarding processes. So like, you know, let's say there's 85 questions about why customers are dropping off at specific points, you know, what our customers are hoping to learn, how much information we need to give them. There's so many different conversations that, and that's just like the beginning part of your app mm. experience. That's not looking at all of them. I'm sure there's, you know, 85,000 questions across an entire, entire app ecosystem, but even just starting with onboarding. We really quickly realized that it was very hard to prioritize where we needed to dive in first without thinking about that risk equation. So, for example, you know, do yes, we see this huge amount of of drop off in this specific part of onboarding, but only three percent of our customers go through that part of onboarding, right? Because it's it's specialized for a specific customer segment. Let's let's say when you can mm. start to to have the team think about, okay, it's actually not as risky for us to not understand. Like, we don't need to know why customers are dropping off there as much as we need to know why, you know, the 97% of customers who are going through the other side of the funnel, why they're dropping off. Um, yes, you can say, you can like share those numbers with people, but I think that conversation about how risky it is to make decisions if you don't know that information really helps to get the mm. entire team on board, not just the data team, not just the product team, but engineering design customer service, you know, onboarding teams. I just like that language because then it's also like, you know, taking a risk isn't always a bad thing, but taking an educated risk is 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 always going to be be better and people can really get 
get behind that idea rather than just yeah. looking at a bunch of numbers and maybe not understanding them uh, in the grand scheme of, of the experience. Yeah, it sounds like the product discovery work up front is super crucial, right? Properly diagnosing that problem and contextualizing that problem too in the grand scheme of things. Super important to then take that step or next action to do something coherent for your team. Now, how would you best recommend initially diagnosing that problem well? Like, what does that look like on your side? Well, I think first it's defining what you mean by problem, right? Like, what is the actual problem? Because oftentimes it's a question of, hey, our onboarding process isn't performing like we want it to. What is, you know, like, what does that actually mean? I think oftentimes if you give that to a product team, like that question to a product team, especially with people who are really, really driven, what they're going to do is they're going to then go, you know, go off and try and figure out the 18 different reasons why the onboarding. But what the sales team might actually care about is why are people dropping off right before they give us their email address so that we can, you know, uh, put them in a drip campaign. Is that what's important? Maybe they only want us to spend like three weeks trying to figure out that specific problem because they need a certain number of inbound leads, right? I think that's always where I like to start is get really specific about what those problems are and then why the why you should care about those problems. Because again, if it is a question of the sales team needs more, you know, contacts to put in their marketing funnel, that's a very different solving that problem of getting more people to that next step is a very different approach than let's say you know, we have like a specific logic fork or tree in the the onboarding process that happens on the next page, for example. It, it's a very different problem to solve. So I think that's that's the first thing. And then it's also like, what do we actually care about measuring to know if that problem is solved? But that's a whole other conversation. Well, no, this is good. So I guess when that first problem comes to the product team in the, these last scenarios, how was that problem handed over? Was this part of the company's strategy? Was it by someone having a new insight or idea? Like how did that start initially? Yeah. And, you know, I can generalize it across multiple companies because I've seen this a lot. Oftentimes it's like Maybe it's in an all hands where somebody brings up the fact that, you know, conversion isn't where it should be or utilization isn't where it should be. You know, I've had it be as broad as that of like, hey, team, you know, the 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 product leader then coming to our team and saying, hey, as you heard in our all hands, you know, here's something that the the leadership team is is thinking about. Let's go dive into it. So sometimes it is as broad as like 25 percent of our entire app experience isn't working. But sometimes it is a lot more specific of they'll bring like the uh, not the core problem but like a symptom of the problem to you right like hey people aren't putting their email address into this field in the right format but the the actual problem might be that people don't know what's expected of them on that page in the first place or you know we had there's a bug in the system something like that so i've i've seen i mean i feel like that's what you are as a product person is a you know problem receiver and then dissector and then diagnoser. Um, but both of those instances are really tough because one, it's very, very, very broad and you need to ask all the right questions to get to that specific problem or else you're going to spend all of your time and, and really kind of spin the team out on the, the everything that could be going wrong in that 25% of the experience. Or it's like that super specific, hey, I have this very, very, very small or very niche pain point, but they might not understand the larger context of, of what problem actually exists to create that symptom. 
it would be good maybe to talk in these two kind of lenses to see how others can think of this if they're in this scenario. As a receiver of the problem, being the person on the team, we can start there and we can also maybe talk about the product leader being the producer of the problem. <laughs> At least the, yeah. So let's start with the receiver first and let's talk through some scenarios. So if I'm a product manager on a team and my product leader comes to me and says, hey, it's either this ambiguous problem or it's specific or what have you, and it's quarterly planning. What do I action on? What is the next step that you take, Allegra? I would, I usually sit that person down in some sort of a visual context to start to dissect that problem. There's something really, really powerful as you're having like an info gathering session about like writing down what they're oh, saying or yeah. drawing it yeah. out or, or whatever so that they can visualize where your head is. And especially that's very, very helpful because we're human beings and what we tend to do is create our own narratives, right? So maybe this person that you're getting the information from about the problem, they've already had this conversation in their head so many times that they don't realize what information they might not have shared with you yet. So that's always where I like to start when somebody comes to me with, with that problem. And then the second thing that I like to do is tie that problem back to key metrics that matter for the company. That can really ground the conversation. So, for example, if that that key metric is conversion, if you can start to ask questions about that problem, how that problem relates to conversion, that can be really, really helpful, too. It makes this like, you know, some, especially if that person is frantic or if it's really negatively impacting their job, it can be really overwhelming to have somebody come to you with that that problem. But those two things are usually what I start with. And then the rest you know, it depends. The rest really matters on, on yeah. what the problem is. The other thing I like to do is have someone technical in the room if I think it's going to be a tech, like a technical mm. problem to solve. Because sometimes what I've found myself, the, the situation I've found myself in is, you know, we'll say something like, oh, that should be, you know, a really easy thing to fix. But for some reason, because, you know, uh, uh, AWS made some specific update you know, two days ago that I don't know about yet, it's actually going to be a lot more complicated to fix that or they can, they can, that engineering counterpart can also highlight questions to ask to kind of get that problem to be a little bit more specific and more actionable. So you'll have this initial dissection interview and we have clearly written out the problem, at least in a way that you understand it and the leader understands it engineering's in the room to call out any feasibility risks or concerns. We tie that problem back to the key metrics at the company level, tying this back to the data implementation side of things. What's next? My next favorite question is always, how do you know if we've successfully solved this problem? And I, I use that question with those very specific words because it does a few different things. One, it gets that person thinking about solutions I know that a lot of like we don't necessarily want people to jump into solutioning, but this is a great opportunity to highlight like maybe it's not a product issue. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a training issue or maybe it's an operational issue or maybe there's some other way that's like way more efficient and makes more sense for for our internal processes to solve it there. Once they start to think about what that success looks like, I think that's the first thing. The second thing is that question in my mind also further helps clarify the problem. Because, you know, they might give information like they all of a sudden you realize that it's only a problem for a very specific type of customer or a very specific type of account. So I really like that open ended, open ended question. And then 
the the second reason that that it's really helpful is you can then tie it to those metrics and start to understand what you should be tracking for it to be successful right so like in the case of that first example we're losing people in the funnel because they don't get to the step where we capture their email the obvious metric would be how many emails have been captured but if the end goal is to increase that that capture then you probably also want to set a metric for each of the steps before like what are the the conversion rates for for each of those I would probably also in that scenario want to understand like is there a specific type of customer that that we're hoping to get more of those emails from that's really why why I like that what does success look like question because these sorts of conversations then start to come up really really naturally and then you set the stake in the sand and you can move back from that rather than just kind of casting this wide net of well hope this solved your problem so that's what i tend to do next i like it yeah i like where that kind of leads me to those questions what do we know a certainty and then what do we need to learn in the context of this problem will help guide the measurement or the exploration so having that conversation initially with this leader getting all this context we've dissected the problem we've tied it back to company metrics and strategy we've discussed success criteria and we've identified things that we don't know and things that we know a certainty. And then we go do the work, which is the next phase. And then that's maybe at the PM's discretion. I don't know if you have a best practice for digital instrumentation of the interactions of the external customer versus like the qualitative conversations. Is there some, you know, if it's this type of problem, I'm going to go about looking at the eventing and trying to instrument the right data? Or is there something that would guide you one way or the other? I can't think of like a formula off of the top. I feel like every single time this has ever happened in my entire career is running through my head right now and I'm trying to categorize it and I just can't. (laughs) But I think so something I've seen is when teams do jump to instrumentation first, where that tends to go well is in a situation of, you know, the goal, you know, the customer well, and then you're just trying to like identify opportunities to get the customer to the goal more successfully. I think that is a, a place in which instrumentation can work really well using that like more user mm-hmm. behavior type tools, whether that's Amplitude or Pendo or you mm-hmm. know, there's, there's lots out there. I think sometimes where people can get tripped up a little bit is, you know, someone says, hey, we have a problem because we noticed in our data that people 25 to 35 aren't using this functionality. Like every other group is, but but this group isn't. Let's go figure out, or can you help us figure out how we get that utilization number for that specific population higher? That, in my opinion, that's not necessarily the time to just go and instrument that specific experience. I think I would probably pause, establish like a larger set of hypotheses around why that might be, and then develop a research plan from there, whether that's quantitative or qualitative. Because it's amazing how often it can be like, Uh, a simple conversation where somebody explains something very quickly of exactly why they're not using this thing or why they haven't paid for this thing or they, you know, refuse to upgrade or whatever it might be. Those can come up really, really quickly and it can save you a lot of time to that uh, instrumentation. I think that data, especially quantitative data, is an incredible thing. It's an incredible tool. But I've also, you know, kind of fallen to that being a crutch sometimes of, well, we're waiting yeah. for the data. We don't have, you know, statistical significance Ooh, yet. Yeah, and that's a good I've really tried to push myself into 
Let's just yeah. go talk to somebody. Or like maybe there's an article out there or maybe there's a scientific paper, right? It's important to be curious in, in those instances. Problem immersion, right? Which is like have at it, you know, marketing research, user interviews, data, deep dives, just being able to immerse yourself in that problem and all of that. Know where you can look at these things. Keep that curiosity strong, right? If you're getting stuck, talking to somebody is always helpful because then you can unlock a different way of looking at a problem. Talk to your customer success team. They know know it all there's such a, i feel like that's like the most not but I, mm. I shouldn't say a blanket statement like that but i feel like customer success team members have mm. so much incredible insight and oftentimes they're kind of put into this like process of hey you have a problem like go ask the product team to fix that problem rather than hey at the end of every month put together your insights of like what you're hearing from customers and then partner with products to come up with the best problems because oftentimes you can solve a lot of those things at once mm -hmm. with a single you know feature implementation and oftentimes those are like taken in one at a time because product teams just don't have time to look at every single request that's ever come in and then figure out <laughs> like oh well these three together could make this solution and that could you know that's it's that's a lot to expect from a team so yes customer success they have lots of lots of or tech support you know folks in similar roles where they're interacting with customers in a more like small but mighty way. Those are some great ideas there. You know, I think from the data instrumentation side of things, going back from the strategic lens, and then we can maybe tie it back with the product leadership producer of the problem, but always thinking about that company's growth business model, those strategic levers that you're deciding to take as a product strategist and the organization as a whole, understanding your goals, your targets, all that. The data itself, broad buckets can think of it in maybe two different ways. And then within those, we can have even sub buckets, but this human interaction and then these kind of digital touch points. So the human interactions of the human behavioral stuff, and then the technological traceability of that human behavior. So if we can identify those things about like, okay, I'm sitting on my computer, I'm having a conversation with somebody, I'm deciding about this, I'm thinking through these things, like all these human behaviors, understanding and being able, if you can measure those, great, but at least have a way to facilitate those conversations in that way that you can extract that information to make better decisions as a part of your immersion journey. And then thinking about, this is something I've been really adamant about recently is this interaction. It's like making sure we're digitizing everything in the business where we're able to measure every time an external customer is interacting with your product. As long as we can do that, I think all of that data and information feeds back into making the business more stronger. But we might be missing those rich touch points by just relying on like an outbound channel that's not potentially tracking all those touch points or these offline processes and services that we're offering that aren't really tying back into the organization, making the organization better. And so I think identify all those opportunities and always think external versus internal here to be able to instrument the right level of data strategy and then get all that thing into the mix, understand how it's going to drive value, have a strategy for that as well. That might be a way to look at it. Uh, but let's tie this back to that product leadership lens here, okay? Maybe I'm discussing with the board or maybe I am discussing with a heated CEO or, or C-level executive that has maybe a strong partnership with this one person and is like, we need to go do this. We need, why are we doing this? We need, you know, all this stuff, right? Now, as a product leader, it's a similar kind of thing, right? You need to absorb most of that yourself 
and be able to provide the right level of context to your product team. So you're not actually just being a like a dumb router, right? It's just like, yeah, he said this. Hey, Allegra, go do it, right? You're kind of like absorbing a lot of the context that might be part of the strategy or because it's going to lead to an M&A that we're going to be discussing on the board, you know, the next one, all that kind of stuff. And you got to extract what is that core problem? So you got to dissect it. So having a conversation like this, again, how Allegra described is a, is a good way of doing this, understanding it, articulating, absorbing the angst, all the things so you don't lose sight of what that true core diagnosed problem is. And then always look for evidence, right? Like I think this is really important that evidence in that problem is super critical for clear execution, right? So if we have that, great. Now I can take something that was ambiguous of this person said this thing and then wants this in this way and then say, actually, this is important to the strategy. Here's why. And here's the data. And here's the evidence to back it up. And hey, product team, this is all the context. We trust you. Have at it. And so thinking about it in that context, too, and how you yeah, empower those absolutely. employees to do uh, some good, good work. Yeah. In that specific situation, it's really interesting. I feel like leaders who do that really well will meet that question or idea yes. with a lot of curiosity in private. Like sometimes sometimes it'll be, hey, the CEO is going to come and talk to the product team about all the things that they want to see changed, right? I've been in those conversations. It's been a while, but I've been in those conversations. And, you know, as a as a as not the product leader, it can be really overwhelming. So having those clarifying conversations, just like you said, is is really important. But having them yes. not in front of your entire team, because I think something that that one of my favorite questions to ask founders when they have a new idea is asking them basically the five whys of why it excites them. And that can really start to like pull out, like, are they excited about this because it is a shiny thing to put in the board deck that is for the board meeting that's happening in three weeks? That's a very different goal than I think this is going to triple our revenue. And then you can start asking questions like, why do you think that? I love that question. I ask that question a lot because what you really want to to build with that person as a product leader to bring to your team is like, what what do you think their hypothesis is, right? This idea, what what impact do you think it's going to have? And then you can let that that product team have like a, they, they have something again, visual that they can look at, like a sentence that they can look at. They can then just like you said, go work their magic, dissect that, start to ask questions about you know, is that revenue possible? You know, can we actually break into that that new customer segment with the regulations that exist, et cetera? So yeah, that's a I have a lot, a lot, a lot of respect for leaders who are able to to translate that well. Cause that's a really good way also to create a lot of swirl in your team, right? Too. So Yeah. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up with some homework. What would you give to the listeners as an outcome from our conversation. Yes, I have two ideas. So first is one of the very first things I said about making it a visual conversation. So whether that's Miro or what I used to do a lot is I have an iPad that I like to draw on. People who are listening mm. who've worked with me before are probably laughing because I do it all the time where I'll like have my iPad join the Zoom meeting and then I'll draw it out. Try that out. It doesn't even have to be like a big product decision, but if you're making a decision with somebody, I would highly recommend that and just like Keep an eye out for the clarifications that you get or like maybe they'll the, the, the golden comment here is, oh, that's actually not exactly what I meant. That's exactly what you want to hear from folks because you need to get the clarification. So I think that would be my first one. And then second one would be try and think of like some question or when some question comes your way, 
think about it in how are we going to define success for this problem. I think that's another really, really good practice to have is think what's the end state? How are we going to get there? Rather than kind of looking out into the abyss and being like, oh man, what am I going to do next? So visual and then start with success, work backwards. Love it. I'll add to this maybe before diving into that. I always think use this skill from therapy, but practice grounding, which is, you know, like taking deep breaths before responding immediately. It can be a very an emotional situation sometimes. There's heated conversations and passion around these issues and problems and ideas. So make sure that you come fresh with a clear mind as a response and try to make sure that you're not responding so defensively in that moment to get to that curiosity, right? understand the situation ahead of time so then you can come to it with a clear mind and then dissect the problem, tie that problem back to the strategy, define success criteria, define things that you don't know, and then immerse yourself in that problem and, and solve it. That's what I would say. Thanks again, Allegris. It was great catching up with you and having you on. It looks like we finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee. Produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.